0: go to the back in the front and be dismissed. Thank you. Good morning everybody. Good morning. Welcome to Faith Church. My name is Derek. I'm one of the pastors here. Happy Mother's Day to so many of you, and uh, we're thankful that all of you are with us this morning. It's good to be together. So as our, uh, as our younger crew heads out to Children's Church, you and I, uh, the rest of us, get to jump into God's Word and study and see what He has to say, for, uh, say to us this morning in here. Um, Speaking of moms, anybody ever have a mom um, pick food out of your teeth? Maybe, maybe a few, Oh, only, see, like Debbie, I expected more. I know, I know my mom has picked food right out of my teeth to help me out. Instead of telling me it's there, she just reached right in and picked it out. And now, and now that role is played by my lovely wife, Amy. She, she now helps me out if she, if I have something going on in there. And again, sometimes it's not just you have a little something, it's reach right in there. Take care of it. So uh, you know, but here's the thing. That's, that's good looking out. Anybody know, everybody familiar with that phrase? That's good looking out. If you're a mom who does that, or if, you, if, you're, uh, if you're someone who hooks your friends up by reaching in there and taking the food out, that's, that's good looking out. That's taking care of other people. That's thinking of others, uh, not just yourself. Um, we wanted to give all of you an opportunity to take a nice picture with family, friends, church family. So we created a—I say we. <laughs> There's a photo booth outside that, where you can take some nice pictures this morning. It was three mothers who, who I saw out there, three or more, that were out there doing it. And that's good looking out, right? That's caring for us. That's putting others before their own needs. They, they're moms on Mother's Day, but they were doing something— for other people. And, um, you know, I sure would like, we're, getting, we're family, church is family, and I sure would like to think that if you had seen me or greeted me a few minutes before the worship gathering started and you had noticed that my zipper was down, I would sure hope there would be some good looking out, right? Can, can Please err on the side of good looking out than just throwing me under the bus for everybody else to see up here. Now I should check. Okay. That would have been an awful story if it was—never mind. Okay. In Philippians chapter 2, we are going to be urged, we are going to be reminded to—toward good looking out. So turn in your Bibles. If you don't already have a Bible open, grab your Bible. Bring your Bibles with you on Sunday if you can. It could be a cool paper one, or it could be a cool digital one, and either way— Turn to Philippians chapter, actually I said two, we're going to start at the end of chapter one. So turn to Philippians chapter one, verse 27, because while we're actually studying in chapter two this morning, we want to start at the end of chapter one, just to remind ourselves of where we are. So we are in a teaching series each Sunday, teaching through the book of Philippians, which is a letter. Written from a church leader, the Apostle Paul, to the Christians in a town called Philippi. So that makes them the Philippians. So Paul is writing this letter to this church that he started, this group of Christians in Philippi. And let's look again at verse uh, chapter 1, verse 27, just to remind ourselves of, of the context of our passage this morning. Verse 27. Only let your manner of life... You Christians, you followers of Jesus, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that, and it continues a few words later, so that Paul writes, I may hear you, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, united, unified in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. All right, so I want you to, as we often do, keep your finger in the text. Don't close your Bibles. We're going we're gonna to be in and out of our Bibles. I'm going to have you look at the text, and we're going to talk about it. And I'll have you look at the text, and then we'll talk about it some more. So keep your finger there in Philippians. But um, we'll see now, as we start in chapter 2, that Paul is picking up this theme of Unity. He wants us to, he wants to, so that's why we looked at the end of chapter one, to be reminded that he's talking about unity among us as followers of Jesus. But first, as we start chapter two, you're going to see that Paul appeals to the Philippians. And so God, through his word, appeals to you and I this morning. And I think this is good looking out on, on Paul's part on God writing his word through the Apostle Paul, this is good looking out for you and I. Because what he has for us in his word this morning is, is our interests, our best interests. Putting, put, Paul putting himself aside and desiring us to grow as followers of Jesus. So chapter 2, verse 1. So if there is any encouragement, if you have any encouragement in Christ— any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Now, I want to I note something here. It's interesting that it says the word if there. Uh, and in some of your translations, there's multiple ifs in front of all those phrases that I just read. And, and, and this, is a, this is an important distinction, though, because oftentimes when we use the word if, it's iffy. Like, we're not sure which way, what, what's the answer? Which way is it going to go? That's not how Paul is using it here. This really—this this could be rendered if, as is certainly the case. That's kind of what Paul is intending here. The way it's written is asking for a yes answer. He, he might have—instead of saying if, he could have he said since. He's expecting that this is our experience. The things I just read in verse 1, he expects that's that, that that is our experience as followers of Jesus— that, these, that he is asserting truths, facts, not, not questions. You with me on that? Okay. So if you have any encouragement, etc. Cetera, etc., cetera, Paul writes to the Philippians and writes to us, since, is this true for you followers of Jesus? Since you have encouragement in Jesus. Since There is comfort in Jesus. Since, as followers of Jesus, we have participation, fellowship in the Holy Spirit. Since, we have received affection and sympathy, compassion, tenderness from Jesus. Are those things true, followers of Jesus? Yes. The gospel is the good news that God rescues sinners that God has made a way for sinful you and I to be made right, made friends with a good and loving and holy God. God is in the business, is this right, Faith Church? God is in the business of love, of grace, of forgiveness, of comfort, and on and on. So, so that's where Paul starts, is this appeal Paul is appealing to the Philippians. God is appealing to you and I this morning. If, since that's the case, since we have all of those blessings, those grace gifts in Jesus, what should we do? Verse 2. Therefore what? Complete my joy, Paul writes, by being of the same mind. Here's back to unity. Unity having the same love being in full accord and of one mind remember the flow of our passage we started back in chapter 1 remember the flow of our passage is paul writing to us writing to us and saying live a life that's worthy of the gospel live a life worthy of the gospel and so then he reminds us of god's amazing grace to us through jesus the blessings the encouragement the comfort all the care, the fellowship with the Holy Spirit. He reminds us of these blessings and says, therefore, because of God's grace to you, live in unity with one another. Live in unity. Being of one mind, when he says the word being of one mind here, it doesn't mean that we're to be mindless robots, that each of you are exactly the same and do exactly the same and think exactly the same. But the heart of this is, I I think of the phrase, all for one and one for all. Perhaps this would be a way to think of church family and, and, and Paul's reminder for us to be united in Jesus. All for one and one for all. We're for one another. We're for each other as individuals. And individuals are for the group. We're striving for unity. And so Paul continues this unity theme in a new way. What in, in, At the end of chapter 1, what he called striving side by side, he now says, is being of one mind. And this is a central unity. We're going to see the word humility soon. This is central characteristics in the life of a believer in Jesus Christ. Unity with brothers and sisters. Unity with other Christians. Because unity is is not just, not only is unity a tool, a weapon against, against a, a broken and hurting culture and a, and a broken world, a weapon against the persecution and the suffering, but unity also, if you think about it, if we as followers of Jesus demonstrate unity, togetherness, family, that is the most incredible display. That's one of the best ways. It's, one, it's an incredible display of the gospel. The good news of what Jesus has done for you and I We display to a world who needs the good news when we show unity and care for one another. So unity is this togetherness, this living and serving in harmony, all for one, one for all. So what's our our individual part? What is your individual part of, of unity among Christians? How do we, as individual followers of Jesus, Strive toward unity. Verse 3. Got your finger in the text? Verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. You know, we used the phrase earlier, good looking out. Perhaps this is bad looking out, right? The opposite of good looking out is looking out for number one. There's another expression we hear. This is another way that, that uh, those around us act. But it's not just those around us, is it? We live in a fallen world because of the entrance of sin into the world. You and I are sinful by nature, and I think our tendency is looking out for number one. But verse 3 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in what? In humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. The Bible makes it clear that selfishness and conceit are enemies of unity and harmony within the church among believers. Uh, the message translation of this verse puts it this way. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. In contrast, what what, what, what we're being urged toward this morning unity will come as we demonstrate humility unity will come in our church family unity will come among followers of jesus as we demonstrate humility and as we and one way of demonstrating humility is through good looking out these verses remind us that we are to look out for others do nothing Verse 3 again, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And there's more. He's He like reinforces the same idea again. Look at verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. I wanna, we're going to play a quick video clip, see how this might play out. What, what might it look like in life? In our world, in going through our everyday, to put the interests of others ahead of our own. Let's take a look. Go ahead. You can go. You don't even have a stop. Go ahead. No 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 go ahead. Go ahead. And you go. No 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 you first. And you go. I'm gonna go after you. Get the road jack. No you go. you go. No, you go you go. No, you go. No you go. I'm not going until you go. No, you go. I'm not gonna go until you go. No, you go. You go. You go. You go. You go. You go. You go You go. You go. You go. You go. You go. You go. Oh, you go. What? What a riot! My driver would like you to go first, please. No, you go. now you go. No, you go. No, you go. No, you go. Yum. I've got a lot of sides in here. You go. Crossword? I'm just kidding. There's no crossword. Go ahead. You go. No way. Go ahead. Go. 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 You go. You sure? OK. <laughs> Come on. You go. OK. Do you, do you want to? No? You go. No, you just... <laughs> okay. You tell. No, you, you tell. No, you tell. You tell. When you pull up to a four-way stop and there's two of you at the same time or three of you at the same time or four of you at the same time, what, what really happens when that happens to us? One of us is going to go first, Right? And most of us want to go first. We're hoping the others are going to be more considerate so we can step on the gas and get out of there. That's the more likely scenario when we pull up to a stop. Um, But then you have this idea of, no, you go. Almost taken to an annoying extreme, right? No, you go. But, But the opposite of looking out for number one, the opposite of me first, of I'm looking to get through this intersection as soon as possible for my sake, for my schedule, the opposite is, no, you go. Valuing others above ourselves. Though, maybe don't be that annoying. As followers of Jesus, um, we, we can't humble ourselves before the Lord. As followers of Jesus, it's, it's impossible To humble ourselves before Jesus in following him and learning to be like him while simultaneously trying to make others feel below us. We can't exalt Jesus in our life while simultaneously uh, putting ourselves first, doing what benefits us most. That verse we read there in verse 3, it says, count others more significant than yourselves. We are to count. We are to calculate. We are to think through our lives and our situations to calculate what would most benefit others. How can I do more saying, no, you go, than saying me first? So, now, now what's going on here when we get this this vivid, urgent exhortation command to to put others first. Does that mean that we act like doormats and and just lay down and and let people take advantage or run us over? No. It doesn't mean that we we never take care of ourselves. Uh, It means that we look out to our own interests. The same energy and thought that we put into looking out for ourselves, which is appropriate to many extents— we need to some extent look out for ourselves and figure out what we need and, and, and take care of things that are going on. But to the same extent that you look to your own interests, do we, do we go to that same extent looking at the interests of others? Does it mean that, we, uh, that others are, are better than us or more superior than us or more talented than us? No, it's not saying that. It's saying that we In the power of the Holy Spirit, followers of Christ, we are striving to learn humility and and, and consider others worthy of preferential treatment. Not saying that they're better than us, but but that because of God's work in and through me, I'm going to offer preferential treatment. I'm going to offer putting others first. Do we do this naturally on our own power? No. No, we don't. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, by God's work in you, we can value others ahead of ourselves. So, as I said, there's, there's bad looking out. There's, there's looking out for number one, selfishly considering ourselves only. And there's good looking out. Looking out for the needs of others. Putting the interests of others ahead of our own. So I want to think uh, throughout this morning here, in our next few minutes, we want to be thinking. I want to ask you to think. I want to ask you to be open to the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart and mind. We all need to be thinking of what are some examples in our lives of good looking out. How might God want to work in and through you to have you move toward good looking out? And I love that this passage by God's providence fell on Mother's Day. Because uh, while moms are not perfect, and while this is not all of your experience, this is not the you know, not all of you have this experience with moms, but on, as we honor today, as we honor moms on Mother's Day, I, I can't think of a better passage. I can't think of a better example of putting the needs of others ahead of their own. So as we honor moms today, I thank God for you moms, who God is working in and through you and helping you to put the interests of your kids, ahead of your own schedule and needs. So we can be thankful for God's work in that way. Uh, what else does it look at? What, is, what else does it look like to be, uh, to have good looking out? And we've talked about some, here's some examples just within our church family on Sunday mornings. And these are just sort of simple, um, simple examples, not not anything really Uh, super detailed, but we've talked about some of these. What does it look like on Sunday mornings as we gather together as a church family to to practice good looking out? When we come to the parking lot, if we have the ability to park further away and walk in, do we do that looking out to the interests of others, those that need to park closer or those that are first-time guests? Do we come in here and uh and uh and look out for number one by saving as many seats as we possibly can in the prime seat now i save seats because i have to sit in a certain place so i'm excused (laughs) okay maybe not i don't know i try to move around though and then i then i mess it up then i mess you up because i sit in your seat on accident and i get everybody all thrown off when when we move around but if we're looking out for number one we take the best spots if we're if we're if we're if we 're asking God to help us in good looking out, we 're going to make sure that there's room for all. Um, we 're going we're to look around for faces that we are, that are new, faces that we don 't know.'re to looking out for number one is huddling with my favorite group of friends that I, in our church family that I see a lot and that I want to talk to, and that 's looking out for number one, is huddling with the familiar faces and spending our time before we worship and after we worship just with those familiar faces. I think moving, asking God to move us toward good-looking out, to be a church family that's loving and welcoming to all those that God would bring through these doors on a Sunday morning, good-looking out looks like um, being a warm and welcoming uh, community to, to everyone. Uh, and as I look around the room... Uh, you know, we're going to need to, we've been talking about, our leaders continue to talk about the need for good looking out for all of you. We may need to try, uh, practice some good looking out by creating two worship gatherings on Sunday mornings instead of just one, because we continue to have these Sundays, like this morning, where we're a little borderline too full, a little borderline awkwardly uncomfortable. So we're thankful that you're with us. We're thankful that you squish together as church family, and uh, that's good looking out. And uh, we will see what, uh, what needs to happen in the future, how we can be hosts, how we can uh, provide hospitality for all those that God would bring through our doors. So keep thinking about that because we're going to talk in a few more minutes. Uh, we're going to talk a little later about how God might want to help you in situations you're in with people you interact with. We're going to ask him to show us how we might move toward good looking out. And in order to get there, In order to count others more significant than ourselves, we need an attitude adjustment. We need a new mindset. We need a Jesus mindset. So let's get back to the scripture here. Got your finger in the text? Philippians chapter 2, now we're at verse 5. We need a Jesus mindset. Verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the supreme example of humility. We could have no better model for humble service. We could have no possible better example of looking to the interests of others than the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So, therefore, we are to imitate Him as children imitate parents. We are to imitate our Lord and Master Jesus. We are to have a Jesus mindset, the same attitude. As Jesus. Why? Because we are in Christ. He is making us new and helping us have this mindset, and because we are to imitate Him. So, as we get into these next few verses that I'm going to read in just a minute, this is, uh, many would say, this passage is one of the Apostle Paul's finest hours. One of the pinnacle passages of, of of the Bible, of proclaiming amazing, mysterious, Powerful truth about Jesus. And if, and if it's one of Paul's finest hours, then, then it's an incredible passage of scripture that God wrote through him to both exalt Jesus and to prod us forward as followers of Jesus. So let me read a few verses, and then we'll go back a little more slowly through them. Verse 5 again. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself, By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ Jesus, verse 6, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So as you look again at verse 6, Paul is teaching us here such a critical truth about our faith, about the Christian faith. Paul is teaching us here in verse 6 and 7 and reminding us that Jesus is fully God. That Jesus was, is, and is to come. That Jesus has always existed, that he does exist, and that he will exist and he will return. He is reminding us of this critical truth that Jesus is fully God. And and Jesus enjoying his his reality as divinity, as deity, Jesus enjoying his place on high with all the power and glory and majesty due to God, being, being enjoyed and deserved by Jesus, the one who was, is, and is to come, and yet... He didn't cling to all that. That sounds pretty awesome. And if it were you and I, I might stay up there and enjoy all that power and honor and glory. Jesus, Jesus could have stayed on high, enjoying the results of his deity, of his, of his godness. And yet this passage is, is amazing to, to contemplate because he did not cling selfishly. He did not grasp on to equality with God as if if that was the only good thing for him. Instead, he emptied himself, our passage says. And it's real important to clarify here, there's been some misunderstanding over the years in church history when it says that Jesus emptied Himself, it does not mean that He gave up some of His divine attributes. He did not become any less God. When it says He emptied Himself, it does not mean that He that He somehow uh, gave up being God, gave up His uh, changed His identity. We, we just studied through the re, in recent months through the gospel of Mark and we found it over and over again to be true that Jesus is the God-man. Fully human and fully God. We already established that he's fully God, always was, is, and is to come. The emphasis here though now in, in Jesus setting aside his deserved privileges on high and coming down to be with us This amazing truth is that Jesus willingly set aside the exercise of his privileges, the the, the exercise of all his rights. He did not cling to those rights that he had as God, and instead he chose to obey the will of the Father. How did he do that? Verse 7 tells us by taking the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of humans. And being found in human form. So so first of all, we have him being fully God, and yet here in this passage, we see that Jesus sets aside all that is his on high, and in and in the incarnation, which means God becoming man, in coming down to be born as a human baby and to grow into a man and to live and to die and to be raised again, Jesus assumed in in coming to us, he assumed all that is true about being human, including, including the, the limitations we have in our humanity. He did not cease to become God. He did not cease to become, he did not become any less God. Fully God, come to fully embrace humanity. He was, Jesus, in his time on earth, was weary, tired, hungry, thirsty. He experienced pain. He experienced temptation. He experienced suffering. Why? So he could identify with us. So he could represent us before God. Why did he obey God's rescue plan? Why did he set aside and come to in order to put God's rescue plan in motion? Obeying the Father, putting God's rescue plan in motion. And not only did he come to be a human, But but instead of coming, he could have come as a powerful warrior. He could have chosen to come as a political king with lots of national power. He could have chosen to come in shining robes of majesty and royalty. But our passage reminds us that Jesus came as slave because Jesus himself tells us that I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. So if it's not amazing enough that that, that God would send his son, that Jesus would step down from all it was due him on high, if it's not amazing enough that he would step down from that, that he would become a human, that he would take on the form of a human slave, servant, but then our passage continues and says, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Have we really contemplated this? If you're a long-time follower of Jesus and you've been around the church and you've read your Bibles, I know this is not exactly good news. But God on high, Jesus, deserving of all honor and glory and power, has set it aside and come and humbled himself as a human baby, a servant, and humbled himself even to the point of death. Our immortal Lord and Savior, the King of life and death, Obeyed the will of God even to the point of enduring human death. And, and, and this is the ultimate act of humili- humility. A, a, a it humili- a could, a could be seen as humiliation for a great and glorious God. Submitting himself to the Father's will, to the Father's rescue plan, to the point of death and not just any human death, but brutal execution on a cross. 1 Peter 2.24 says that Jesus himself bore our sins in his body. He took our sins upon himself. Jesus was perfect, sinless, lived in this world, walked in the places we walk, experienced the temptation and suffering that we walked, and yet was without sin. And so Jesus took our sin upon himself, that verse there on the screen says, Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree on the cross so that we might die to sin to our old selves and live to righteousness and live to new life in Jesus Christ. By his wounds, you have been healed. One of the commentators, as I was studying this passage this week, one of the commentators said this about Jesus's ultimate humility. If there's any Ever demonstration of what humility looks like we have it here in the Lord Jesus and one commentator said this no one has ever started so high and no one has ever descended so low for you and for me no one ever gave up as much as Jesus did he could have looked out for number one Instead, he came down, which is really good looking out, because we needed rescue. And this whole thing that we just studied in those verses, this, this passage, this reminder of the incarnation that God took on flesh, this incredible passage of God set inside the, uh, Jesus setting aside the glory to which he was due and humbling himself to come and rescue us. This, you know what this whole thing does? This whole thing should remind us and reveal to us the character of our great God. Because our great God poured himself out, sent his son. His son humbled himself even to the point of death. Instead of looking out for number one, Jesus defines good looking out not clinging, not grasping, not selfish, but Jesus coming, living, dying, the ultimate, the ultimate expression of love. Taking our sins upon himself, dying so that we might live. In some ways, it would have been better To look at that last part of the passage first and be reminded what Jesus has done for us. But now, when we've been reminded of what Jesus has done for us, then we can really kind of go back to this command we read earlier of putting the interests of others ahead of our own. And now we can see it that it's not just a religious to do list. It's not just we should think of others more important than us because we're trying to earn God's love or earn our salvation. It's we put the needs of others first. We look to the interests of others above our own because that's what God has done for us. And our lives of thankfulness and our lives of overflowing joy of what God has done for us in rescuing sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, one of the ways that thankfulness and joy for what God has done can overflow from our lives is by obeying this commandment, this command to put others ahead of our own, ahead of ourselves. We could look out for number one, or we could say, no. No. You go. So I want you to think. I'm going to give you a minute or two here and I'm, of, of silence. And before we wrap up this morning, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to show you what are some ways that he wants to be working in you toward good looking out. And in some ways, you know, I could, I, I could give tons of examples or, or I could have us think through every possible human relationship we have and think through, okay, what does it look like to put their needs ahead of my own? But instead, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to start simple and I'm just going to start with today. And I'm going to give you a few seconds of silent reflection right now. And I'm going to ask you, who are you? Who is God putting around you today? Who will you be interacting with today? I want you to think forward here with what you've got planned with your day. Think who God will have you interacting with, and I want, him, I want you to ask him what it looks like to put their interests ahead of your own for you to, instead of saying me first, with the rest of your day, what would it look like to say, no, you go. Go ahead. I'm going to give you a minute of silence to think that over. Because we want to follow Jesus not just on Sundays, but on Mondays and beyond, let me ask you, I'll give you one more chunk of silence, and let me ask you, who is God going to put in your path tomorrow? And think that same thing through. Think about your tomorrow, whether you be at school or at work or at home or with a group of friends or whatever God has you to do, who will you be around, and what will it look like to put, to, to, to ask God to help you with good looking out for them tomorrow? Go ahead and think that through. All right. I'm going to invite the, our worship team to come back on up, and as they come on up, I'd invite all of you to stand with me. And as you stand, and as the worship team gets set, I want to just take one more minute to point us to Jesus, and for us to wrap up our time together this morning in worship of the one name, the name that is above every name. I hope and I pray that if, as you have wrestled with this scripture text, as you have heard from God this morning, as we have seen the ultimate example of Jesus putting the needs of others before himself, could have stayed on high with all that was due him, but willingly came to rescue And I pray that as you have thought about that afresh this morning, and as we've looked into God's Word and if we've read this incredible passage of Scripture in Philippians 2, I pray that we would know this morning that He must increase in our lives and we must decrease. That it needs to be less about Derek and more about Jesus. You came to Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, you, if you're a Christian, if, if you've submitted your life to him, you received Christ in humility, in knowing that you couldn't do it, that you couldn't match up, that you needed help. And so just as we received Christ in humility, therefore we must walk with him in increasing humility. If you are surrendered to Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, then your life will be increasingly transformed. He is giving you a new heart, a new mind, and a new attitude, and he is giving you the Jesus mindset of putting the needs of others ahead of your own. And so the more we mature as followers of Christ, the more humble we must become because Jesus did not cling to the privileges of his deity. He obeyed the will of God to the point of death for us. And you know what happened as a result? Because Jesus did not cling to those privileges that he was due and because Jesus obeyed the will of God and and enacted that rescue plan and came and lived and died— The rest of our passage says this is what God did about that. The rest of our passage, Philippians 2 verse 9 and following, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on Jesus the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is is Lord, Master, Rescuer to the glory of God the Father. So as the ushers come to receive this morning's offerings, we are going to lift our voices to the name above every name. And let's use these lyrics to be one way that our tongues confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's worship him together. Worthy of every song we could ever sing